All right, so my wife just reminded me that, that you can donate a kidney and, you know, we have two. We can choose to give one up. It's just finding that match in that case is really awfully hard. Um, but we keep, we'll keep praying. Um, so if you're joining us for the first time today, and I know there's some here who are, um, we're studying our way through the book of Job. And um, if you missed the previous messages and you're a regular attender or you're not and you want to catch up, you can go to NorthHillsBaptist.net, you can click on sermons, and you can watch and catch up. And also, we've added a feature. It's kind of hard to find, but if you go to our church website, especially for those who are uh, not able to even come um, because of health reasons and you watch only online, you can click on the message and there's a little link that says resources. It's, 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 it doesn't flash or anything like that. You kind of have to look for it. Click resources and you can find the for further study for the next week. So if you do miss, you want to read ahead like I've been encouraging you to do, you can find that on our church uh, website. But in quick summary of the book so far, Job, a righteous man, as described by God himself, has everything but his life taken away by Satan. Uh, Property, uh, children, uh, servants, health. And, and he's sitting in the town garbage dump, uh, just completely and totally devastated. And uh, he has some friends who come visit him. And they come, and they, when they see him, they don't even recognize him. He is in such bad shape. And they sit with him for seven days. And finally, after seven days, Job feels like he can finally kind of share what's going on, and then, um, and then these friends uh, begin to encourage him uh, with their words. And last week, as we looked at Eliphaz and Bildad, um, they, they tried to convince Job that this has all happened to him because of some great sin that he has committed. If he, if he would just repent of whatever sin it is that he had committed, God would reverse course and, and he would correct all of this. But we know, because we see uh, into what's happening in the supernatural, and this doesn't happen to Job because of sin. It happens because of a conversation that God has with Satan in the throne room. And we see that even Job's wife, though she too, as we pointed out last week, has lost everything, same as Job, was not helping him as she told him, why don't you just curse God and die? And he was not willing to do that. We learned last week that you can be 100% right and 100% wrong at the same time. I um, mean, it, it was... Uh, in many ways, that's exactly where Job's friends were. It was all about their timing and attempts to fix things, which as someone who comes along, someone who is suffering, we need to realize it's not up to us to fix things necessarily. It's up to us to be present, to practice the ministry of presence, as Rick Warren said in an interview. And he said, the greater and deeper the hurt and suffering, the fewer words that we should use when we are coming alongside someone in pain. Rick said, we need to show up and shut up. <laughs> uh, very true, many times. And, and that's where Job's friends eventually failed. For whatever reason, I, I, don't, I, can't, even, I, I can't even comprehend um, after they stopped being silent why they couldn't just support and encourage Job and, and pray for him and with him. And instead, they, they set off on this 
again, I was listening to the, the uh, as I was mowing the lawn, I was listening to Job uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and I just am, Zophar, what are you thinking? But I think that's us too sometimes. Um, if we were to step back, we would recognize that we were, we're not so loving sometimes. Well, here we have Zophar who jumps into the judge, jury, and executioner uh, mode. And um, Zophar is thought to be the younger of the three since he spoke last you know, he sort of def- deferred to them. They spoke first. And then, and, and his words seem to be sharper. They seem to be heavier handed. They seem to be more pointed. In fact, both Zophar and Job in the next few chapters resort to sarcasm and very bitter words in their effort to get their point across. Um, now, we're not going to read through chapters because today we're in 11 through 14. And, uh, and so that, again, I, I hope that you read those this week. You'll see in that for further study at the very end, there is this is what you can read to be prepared for the sermon next Sunday. Please, please do that. Also, please turn to Job chapter 11. As Zophar the Namathite comes at Job with three, three accusations. Um, I, I was... I was looking for something to sort of help us, you know, sort of take a deep breath here. And, and I came across a couple, couple of these things. A, a little boy just couldn't learn. So one day his teacher asked him, who signed the Declaration of Independence? We had this little conversation about dates this morning. Um, who signed the Declaration of Independence? And he didn't know. And for almost a week, every day, at least once or twice a day, the teacher asked him, who signed the Declaration of Independence? And the boy just couldn't come up with the answer. So in desperation, she called the boy's father to her office. And he said, and she said to him, your boy won't tell me who signed the Declaration of Independence. And, and her, her, uh, the little boy's dad said, come sit down, son, come sit down. Now, now, if you sign that crazy thing, just admit it so that we can get out of here. <laughs> right? A misunderstanding of the whole situation. And that's where Zophar and, and these other two friends are at. They don't, and oftentimes we don't either. We don't have insight into the grand supernatural scheme of what God is trying to do. There was eight-year-old Susie came home from school and informed her mother that today in class they had learned how to make babies. The mother, rather shaken by the development, called the teacher to complain. After listening to the mother complain for a few minutes, the teacher responded, Did you ask her to explain how it's done? No, said the mother. Then ask her and call me back. So she goes to her daughter and says, So how do you make babies? Susie responded, You drop the Y and add I-E-S. Sometimes there's more to the story than what we realize, and we need to to take account for that. So Zophar's three accusations. To his credit, he starts asking Job some questions, uh, which is always good when we're trying to understand someone, right? Super important. Just ask some questions. Why do you feel this way? What, what, What is going on? What are you feeling physically? What's happening emotionally? What's happening? Except his questions seem to be more rhetorical than, than him actually asking honest questions to get honest answers. Uh, chapter 11, verse 2, uh, Zophar says, Are all these words to go unanswered? And, and then verse 3, Will no one rebuke you when you mock? In other words, 
Job, you don't know what you're talking about. If you would just listen to us and, and do what we want you to do. I mean, he's piling on with the other two friends. He's saying his first, his first accusation is that Job is guilty. You're guilty. Um, he accuses him of, in the next verses 1 through 4, of being a windbag and throwing around lies and idle chatter. You know, like people who speak without thinking. You know, they just say what's on their mind. And of course, none of us ever do that in our daily lives. He, he also thinks Job is guilty of lying about himself. I mean, come on, Job, Zophar says. Look what has happened to you. There is obviously some grave, significant sin in your life that you need to repent for. Otherwise, God wouldn't be judging you. That's what he is saying. And again, in response to that, Job's like, look, I'm, I'm righteous. I, I have spiritual integrity. I've been doing what God has called me and asked me to do. And, and I don't think Job, at least here, is claiming to, to be perfect because he's not. He's not perfect. He is not sinless. But as a, a, a believer in God, he is following what God is asking him to do. He was a man of spiritual integrity. A second accusation that Zophar makes is that Job is ignorant of God. Well, you, you just don't, you know, you're, you're not admitting that you need to do what we, we say you need to do because you're ignorant of how God operates. Oh, verse 5, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you. Now, Zophar's words are eventually, his, his wish is eventually granted in uh, Job chapter 38 when God rebukes who? The friends, not Job. So we need to take note here. We need to beware that asking God to tell others what we think they need to hear, um, we better be willing to hear what God wants to tell us what he knows that we need to hear. I'm not saying that, 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 that we should ever do what Zophar did. I mean, it would seem... Zophar also in this section, verses 5 through 12, thinks that he has a grasp on how high and deep and wide is the love of God and that Job doesn't. It's kind of like, well, I, you know, am knowledgeable and have all of this stuff and, and you simply don't. I mean, that is extremely arrogant and we need to take note there as well. Um, we are to bear witness to Jesus Christ, but not as perfect, know-it-all Christians who are higher and mightier than others. You know, something that often comes to my mind is a statement that I, that I read uh, that said, look, we are, we are simply one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. And we are no better than anybody. We all have sin in our life. And we all need to be seeking God because of that. Zophar continues to show how he and the other two friends, they don't have a clue how deep Job is suffering here. It's like they just come in, uh, they're like a bull in a, in a china closet. They, they just seem so flippant about everything. And, and he asks two questions in verse 7 and, and expects the negative answer of no. He says in verse 7, if you look there, can you fathom? Can you fathom the mysteries of God? As if he can. Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? 
They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? And I, I don't know where this came from. Job never claims to know everything about God, at least in the words that were given. Um, and here he, he is, I don't know, maybe, I just don't know. Um, what, what he did know encouraged him, what Job did know of God, did encourage him to hold firmly to his integrity and hanging on to, to, to God and not give up. Job yet this far has not cursed God. He doesn't. He, he wishes he were never born. Uh, he wishes at, at times because of his pain, his pain is so intense. And some of, I've heard other people say these same kinds of things. The pain is so hard. I wish that God would just end my life. That's, we, we need to, to come into an understanding of people when they are, when they are suffering. And, and you see, God is not accountable to us. He is not accountable to us. Um, he can arrest and imprison anybody he chooses. Uh, he can convene court and pronounce any sentence he wants to, and nobody, nobody can say a word in protest. We can't do it. God knows who is wise and who is not. God knows who is pure and who is sinful. And since God is has obviously, according to Job's friends, passed judgment on Job. Job must be guilty. For reasons unknown to us, these friends who are supposed to be encouraging and comforting their friend are instead angry and insulting. Yet another lesson for us, right? There are so many people in our culture today who are lost. They're, they're just lost, and, and we need to in, in some cases, we need to earn the right to speak truth in a loving way into their life. Um, we need to love people. We need to, when we're walking with someone who is suffering, before we ever open our mouths, the first thing we need to do is we need to pray. We need to pray. God, I've, I've been in a situation like that called out in the middle of the night to a crime, held an innocent child lifeless. I show up and, and I'm like, God, you're going to have to tell me what to do. In that moment, it was prayer. And it should be that way in every situation for all of us, not just the really hard ones. And God showed up. I didn't say stupid things. I didn't make assumptions. I practiced the, pre the, pre the ministry of presence. And I prayed, and over the course of the next month, the family asked me to be a part of their grief, a part of the service, all of that. God, God knew what he was doing. It was hard. It was hard, and, and, and it didn't happen to me. It was the person that I was walking with through that. We need to ask God, what, what do you, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Oh, nothing? Well, you're going to have to help me say nothing. Because I like to talk a lot. I know some of you, not me. I know some of you, that's probably... <laughs> I don't think Job's friends were, were seeking God's wisdom before they opened their mouths. 
So far accused Job of being guilty. He accused Job of being ignorant of God. And his last accusation in verse 13 through 20 is that Job is stubborn and should repent. Quit being so stubborn. If only Job would repent, God would bless him once again. He could lift up his head and his fears would be gone. So far says. His misery would be in the past. It would be the dawning of a new day. This is the message I think we hear in what is known as the prosperity gospel. If you were just good enough, if you prayed enough, if you, if you worshipped enough, if you, if you came to church enough, if you gave enough money, God would bless you. I mean, he, he wants to bless everyone with health, wealth, and prosperity. And I wonder if people who proclaim that have ever read the Bible. Because there are many faithful followers of Jesus Christ that we find in the pages here who are not health, healthy, who are not wealthy, and they are certainly at times not happy. I think that message sets us up for dis, dis, disappointment and disillusionment. In this world, you will face trouble, Jesus said. Jesus didn't say you should seek after health, wealth, and happiness, and if you're faithful enough to me, I'll give it to you. He never says that. When we, when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, as we've said before, we step onto a battleship, not a cruise ship. The enemy targets us, just like he did with Job. And you know what? That's okay. I don't like it. I would rather live an easy life, but if God determines that, that I am up for the task and up for the challenge, then why not me? Why not me? I mean, there, there were many people in Scripture that are poor. Paul endured so many hardships and, and was one of the greatest on the mission of Jesus' men to ever live. Health, health, and happiness he did not experience. I don't know what God has for all of us. It's different for each and every one of us at different times in our life. But I do know this. In the course of my history, God has, has been, and the way I like to think of it is he, he, he has challenged me incrementally. He knew that if I got the full load at once, I just might give up. But if he would give me a bit here, a bit there, a bit there, a bit there, a bit there, I grow, grow, get stronger, grow, grow, get stronger, more faithful, then when that big thing happens, I'll be ready. And I know that whatever God wills in my life and in yours will ultimately, ultimately be for our good, maybe not in the moment, ultimately will be for our good and for his glory. Yeah, Job was stubborn, but he was stubborn in his trust and his faithfulness to God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Job did not understand the Lord's reasons, but he continued to confide in his goodness. Even though Zophar's speech was a short one, as far as I'm concerned, it couldn't finish soon enough. Job is not as brief in his response to Zophar. And among other things, Job makes three affirmations. Three affirmations that come out of the mouth of Job in these next couple chapters. Um, Job first answered their claim that they had more wisdom than he did. You, you see, age does not guarantee wisdom. Um, there, there are old fools as well as young fools. 
And then he confronts their claim of his sin. He, he points out that there are many sinners and God hasn't put his hand, heavy hand on them yet. Those, those, who, um, those who provoke God are secure, Job says. And in verse 6, the tents of marauders are undisturbed. So God doesn't just judge people who are sinful because God sometimes doesn't judge people who are sinful. Job affirms in this passage the greatness of God. Wisdom and power belong to God, verse 12. God has power over everything, land, sea, sky, everywhere. God is completely sovereign in what he does with nature and with people and with nations. God is in complete control. He is no respecter of social status or power or rank or wealth. All kinds of people in life experience difficulties because God can do what he wants. God can do what he wants. God doesn't operate on a simple if this, then this mode of operation. His sovereignty is too grand. He is too powerful, too all-knowing. There are, think about this, there are billions and billions of people on this planet, and he is working out in our, all of our lives all at once. I can't even keep my weekly schedule straight, let alone billions and billions of people's schedules and struggles and life. That's how amazing and great our God is. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is working in and around everyone. Look up here, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Daniel describes God in this way. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Remember, Daniel was taken as a slave. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And we can trust him completely. Ever since the Tower of Babel, people have been trying to do life without God. Or trying to be God. Or trying to reach God themselves. And the more we try, the more we fail. Kings, presidents, nations, they get too arrogant for their britches. And what does God do? He removes their wisdom. And their, and their, their downfall isn't far behind. Luke records it this way in Acts Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should, that's Adam, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God's greatness is unmatched. And no one is as trustworthy and worthy of our worship and full devotion as God. And, and Satan is trying to convince Job that that's not the case. In fact, he accuses God. 
Revelation 3, 6 through 8, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Job affirms God's greatness in his argument. He also defends his integrity again. Time and time again, these friends try to discourage him and get him to fall into the trap that Satan is laying and that Satan said God, to God that, that, that uh, Job has fallen for, but Job maintains his integrity. That's his second affirmation, the integrity of Job. As physicians, and I don't know if they were actual physicians, but if they were, Job's friend's diagnosis was wrong. They're wrong. And so their remedy? Useless. Job could repent of his sin, but that's not why he's where he is. And Job, Job's friends continue to try and defend um, God, it would have been better had they been silent. They thought they had all the wisdom, but they didn't. And at th this point in the book, I think we do see Job cross the line. He's pushed and he's pushed and he's pushed and, and he defends himself. And we know how that goes. If we try to defend ourselves, that doesn't solve an argument. It escalates it, right? So, but Job is like, he's like almost, I'm sinless. Come on, knock it off with the, I'm guilty. Well, if that is truly his claim, he's wrong. But as far as being a faithful man of integrity, following after, following after God, he is. Now, as we consider the words of Job here, and since we are in the place of, of history where we are post-crucifixion, See, Job didn't, remember last week when we, when we saw that it was almost like Job was asking for something that God already had planned to provide, and yet Job was kind of unaware that he was saying what he was saying? If God could only provide me with someone who, who could be a mediator, well, we know that's Jesus. And, and, and God does. Um, see, we have that to anchor to. We know Jesus came. We know Jesus died. We know Jesus rose again on that third day. We know he's alive today. And that he bids us to come to him and believe. To confess with our heart. Uh, to confess with our mouth and to believe in our heart that he is the Messiah. That he is Lord. Job didn't have that gift. Job had his faith based on something that God was going to do in the future. He didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. We know exactly what that looks like. It's clear. It's given to us. It's historical. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Job affirms God's greatness. He defends his integrity again, and now he seems to be coming to the end of his rope because now he begins to communicate and affirm the total hopelessness that he is feeling. 
I mean, he is done. He is tired. He feels horrible. He's lost everything. Early believers like Job did not have the revelation of future life as we now have in Jesus. Um, Paul encouraged Timothy in this way, 2 Timothy 1.10. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Struggling in life, hang on to that verse. There were passages in the Old Testament that hinted at a future resurrection, but Job didn't have any of those books to look at and, and meditate on. And look at what he says in verse 14 of chapter 14. Flip to chapter 14. Verse 14. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. He's waffling between despair and hope. Job reminds God in verse 15 that he is the work of his hands. You will long for the creature your hands have made. God, you made me. And if I'm gone and I don't come back, you're going to long for me. 1 Peter 1.3 is our memory verse for this week. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is alive. It is living. When we grieve, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we have hope in it. That's in Jesus Christ. So far makes three accusations. Job makes three affirmations. And now I want to draw for us three applications. Three applications for us. First of all, repentance is the correct response to sin. Okay, it is the correct response to sin. Even though Job's friends were reading the situation incorrectly, what I want us to learn today is, is that they are pointing out the need to repent of sin if there's sin in your life. Repentance is the best response when we find ourselves living in rebellion against God, against God's word. We're making decisions that go against what he has said. It's not finding other people that agree with us and saying, look, there's, there's all of these people and we agree that this is, this is what that means. That's not repentance. Repentance is admitting that whatever God wants of me, it doesn't matter what I think of that. Because he is always right. Always. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, from all unrighteousness. Zophar gives a four-step process, and, and I'm just going to just highlight these steps. I don't have time to go through each one uh, with great uh, explanation. For repentance in his speech. First, he says we need to prepare our heart. Prepare your heart. In other words, stop doing what you're doing and, and examine your heart and, and let go of what shouldn't be there. Second, he says stretch out your hands toward God. Turn away from your sin and toward God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Third, he says identify the sin and put it away. Call out to Jesus in repentance and stop it. To repent means to turn the other way. Whatever 
the behavior or decisions that, that you are making, put them far away and forth. Don't let evil to dwell in your tent. David gives us a great prayer and attitude that covers these. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Now, maybe Job did that before those guys showed up. And that's why he knew. So far was wrong in his stubborn belief that Job was living in conscious rebellion against God because he wasn't. But his instructions on how to repent are helpful when we do live in rebellion with God. Repentance is the correct response to sin. A second application for us this morning is that God is a worthy judge. God is a worthy judge. If if there is one thing that Job and his friends agree on, it was the greatness and majesty of God. All four men affirmed multiple times that God is worthy of praise, that he judges rightly, that his thoughts and judgments are beyond criticism because they are beyond our human ability to comprehend. God's ways are not our ways. As much as we want to force his hand and make him do what we want him to do, his ways are not our ways. And and I would say, isn't that a great thing? Anybody else admit, when when I get too involved, I just screw things up sometimes. And and as he does judge humanity for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe that he is Lord and Messiah and have surrendered all that they are to him, God the Father sees us through Jesus' blood. Reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. And as Paul said in Acts, it is in him who we live and move and have our being. May that be every day, no matter what you're doing. Indeed, he is a worthy judge. And the final application for us this morning is that it is appropriate to express our emotions to God. It is appropriate to express our emotions to God. Job didn't hold back, did he? Most of the time he is speaking directly to his friends in response to their accusations, but at the end of chapter 14, Job then directs his remarks to God himself. He expresses his deep anguish. He he expresses his confusion and discouragement and all that has happened to him. And he feels as if God has destroyed his hope, that God has destroyed his hope. Look at uh, verse 18 in 18 and 19 in chapter 14. But as a mountain erodes and crumbles and as a rock is moved from its place, As water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil, so you destroy a person's hope. Job's like, God, you're doing me in here. I mean, is that okay? Because sometimes I think people think, I don't know, I don't think I should tell God how I feel. What if he takes it the wrong way? What if he doesn't really understand? What, what if I'm disrespectful? That's a good thing to think before you do this. Being honest about ourselves to God is not disrespectful. Unless you're flippant about it or you're 
accusatory or, I mean, I guess maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Job is a little bit here. And, and we, we're going to see later in the chapters that God, God's pretty harsh with Job too. I mean, he needed it. And oh boy, do we need it. He disciplines us because he loves us. I don't think Job was over-dramatizing things. I think Job was just honestly and openly pouring out himself to God, trusting and believing that God could hear him and was listening. And we can know that that's true. King David didn't hold back. There are many psalms that we see that he wrote where he just... I mean, sometimes when somebody says something to God, it's like, let the lightning strike over there, not here, right? Uh, about five months after my mom died when I was in college, I was on a retreat in uh, the mountains near Colorado Springs, and uh, I was really struggling with mom's death. Hadn't really ever even cried over it, was just holding it all in. And, and uh, my staff leader for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship said, you know what, you need to go on a walk, and you need to tell God how you feel. You just need to go out there, scream and yell whatever you need to do, but you need to communicate, communicate to God how, how you feel. I, I think I did that, kind of. I mean, I was still a little bit nervous about it. But here's the thing, right? God, does God not know you better than you know yourself? He knows what you're thinking. He, he knows that you have doubts. He, he knows all of those things. And there is something about saying that out loud to him that helps us realize that he is real and he's listening. So we need to recognize that it is okay and appropriate to express our emotions to God. Daniel, Joseph, Moses know over and over we see servants of God expressing their emotions. Timothy, James, Paul, the apostles, we see them being honest with God and, and, and what they are experiencing, and we need to do that as well. It is good for us. It is good for us. When we feel hopeless, frustrated, or angry about our circumstances, we don't help ourselves by pushing those feelings down and trying to act pious or spiritual we do better to cry out to God just as Job did. After all, the Lord already knows those feelings. God has the power to bring us comfort and peace, and he will. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So let's each one hear what God is teaching us today, and then let's put it into practice. Jesus is with us now and forever. Let's anchor our lives to him. No matter what it is that we are experiencing or have experienced or will experience. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and Pastor Brandon comes to lead us through communion. Lord Jesus, thank you. Oh, thank you for that sacrifice. God, thank you for your patience. Help us. God, I pray that our nation has not tested your patience beyond and that you have just turned us over to our sin. God, I pray, I still pray that you would draw our leaders and, and in our churches and our communities and our nation back to you. 
that we would hold unswervingly to the truth of your word. God, help us. Help us to not curse you when life gets hard. Help us instead to cling to you and look to you even more. In Jesus' name, amen.